when I've seen working with some brilliant mathematicians, and I would not call myself brilliant, I was I was good, but not brilliant. Uh, you see how their minds work, and they take these concepts, and then they can invent something new from it. And, and I see that happening all the time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you folks are. Sherry Shannon Vanstone, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Firstly, welcome to the Waterloo Grid podcast. It's great to have you here. We have a plethora of an amazing audience of founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, and I'm sure they will be fascinated as much as I am to hear about the insights of some of your stories, uh, the successes that you've had, and, and the amazing background that I'm really looking forward to talk to you about. But before we get started, a big shout out to David Johnston R&T Park for supporting this podcast. A big uh, round of gratitude from all of us. So with that, let's tee off. Sherry, great to have you here. I, I'd love to hear your personal story. The The things that popped up when we chatted offline were mathematician, entrepreneur, inventor, innovator, philanthropist, mentor, corporate board, advisor, director, etc. So all these hats that you wear, I'd love to learn about your background, your academic upbringing. First of all, thank you, Jay, for this opportunity to be here with you on this inaugural event with the Accelerator Center and the Water Podcast. So first, thank you. I'm ready to share my story. Uh, I will say one thing. Though I, I want to put a plug in for the Accelerator Center. My last company, Trustpoint Innovation, nice. we started there. We spent maybe about mm-hmm. a year and a half, and then we grew so much, we, <laughs> you kicked us out. But not you, but we had to move on to mm-hmm. other spaces. But it was a, a great opportunity awesome. to be there. All right. So I, let me start with start from the mm-hmm. very beginning, because they say it's a very good place to start. I won't go from the beginning, but I will tell you a little bit about something about my childhood that people find interesting. It was that my father was an operating engineer. He wanted to become a electrical engineer. And so in those days, they had international mm-hmm. correspondence courses. They mm-hmm. were not online. They were totally offline in the fact that they were mailed to you. You completed the workbook. You sent it back. They graded it. Then they sent mm-hmm. you the results. So my father started this when I was probably about six mm-hmm. or seven years old. And I would pick up his workbooks mm-hmm. and work them. I was doing his, his workbooks, not because he wasn't doing it, but because I was so interested in it. So by the time I was in the fifth grade uh, in the U.S., where I was raised, they do a testing, mm-hmm. a standardized testing. And at that time, I uh, I scored 10th grade wow. for a fifth grader mm-hmm. uh, in mathematics and in arithmetic, of course, <laughs> not too much mathematics in it, but some mathematics. So at that time, I, it encouraged me. So it was it was like then no one could tell me I couldn't do it because I I got the test results. So I, I went on and continued to um, study science and uh, math in, in high school and went on um to eventually get a, a master's degree at, from the University of Tennessee in mathematics, where I started looking for work. When I started looking for work, I was interviewing with a lot of large corporations, and I, I was often asked to go back to school. If, if they hired me, they would send me back to school, and, and I would work in different 
areas besides mathematics. I won't say it right now because I don't want to offend any other occupation. But I was a little offended by it myself. And I said, no, I want to be in mathematics. It's why I studied mathematics. I love mathematics. So I had an opportunity when I was recruited by the National Security Agency for the U.S. government. And I know I mentioned to you when we talked earlier about this is that I had, uh, at that time, I was I was recruited to a quite a, mm-hmm. an elite program. They it was only master's and PhD mm. students. There are 26 of us and 13 of us wow. were women, I, which I thought in the, in, in, in the late 80s when this was happening, that mm. it was like, okay, this is really uh, parody at that level, mm-hmm. gender parody. And it was a huge opportunity for me. I learned a lot more mathematics, a lot more mm-hmm. cryptography and crypt- crypto analysis. That's the breaking of code and cryptography mm-hmm. making codes. And it also gave me an opportunity to work with many different mathematicians and truly do mathematics and enjoy it. However, uh, as as things happen over time, I found my job shifted from a technical position to more of a industry liaison. So I worked with the State Department, still at the NSA, worked with the State Department, and I was then was able to meet a lot of companies, commercial companies doing work in this area. So I was introduced to a Silicon Valley company at that time called Silink, and I I loved what they were doing. They wanted me to join them. And so one time I was traveling with my boss's boss from the NSA, and he said to me, Sherry, you've done very well here. I was promoted quickly. I was moving up in the ranks. And he said, but you're not going to be able to stay here. I hate to say it, because for you to move on, you have to, to up, you have to move on. And I said, oh, but I love this job. I don't want to leave. But it started me thinking that where would I go? And I decided, you know, I like this idea of a startup. And so I was recruited to several companies, but this one that I had been working with in Silicon Valley, I thought, you know what? I think I can do this. I think I could be in a startup and I think I can thrive in this area and contribute and be impactful. So that's how I got it became a part of the commercial world and became an entrepreneur. Fantastic. I had a couple of questions that were very interesting in that story of yours. And the first one is the love and the penchants for mathematics. So if you, if you look at the, the current generation policy advocates, as well as governments, ecosystem players, etc., are all on a trip to try and make the STEM subjects more lovable, likable. So what is it that at your age as a child that made mathematics endearing? Was it intrinsic or was it something that you derived from the outside that that kept it going? I think it was the immediate uh, knowledge whether you you had the answer or not. Now, that sounds very short term um, thinking, but I know there's other like f- physicists and all this where sometimes you're working on a problem and you don't know mm-hmm. you solved it until a long time, for a long time. And, and, and I don't mean to diminish mathematics because there are some very difficult problems in mathematics that, you know, like there's many examples. But for me, I think it was, oh, I can do this. I got the right answer. And then I can move on and right. I could build on it. And of course, all disciplines are 
or foundational. You learn some basics and you can fall back to those basics. But I think that was it. It was like solving mm-hmm. a puzzle or doing Sudoku or whatever. It's for me, uh, that's what I like mm-hmm. to do in my part-time uh, hobby, leisure time. And so to solve puzzles to try to, and then get an answer and you go, oh, look, I just got this answer and I based it on, you could extrapolate some. It wasn't like it always right. wrote learning. So I think that was it. It was it was a feedback loop that quickly was a great feedback right. loop for me. And I oh, That's amazing. That. And, and it makes you wonder if you have a, and I'd actually love to hear your opinion on this. Do you think mathematics is discovered or invented? Because the more you dwell into the semantics of mathematics, it, it, at least in my head, it begins to present itself as a discovery, right? These, these laws that exist in the universe are just unraveling themselves as our brains evolve. What's your take on it? I would say, and of course, there will be many people who disagree with me. I think it's an invention. I believe in physics and in, the, in, in nature and in the natural world, it may be more mm-hmm. about discovery. But because we're building on a foundation, now it is foundational, as I said, we have to build on calculus, we have to build mm-hmm. on finite fields, linear algebra, and all of this, for, even for yeah. cryptography. But when I've seen, when working with some brilliant mathematicians, and I would not call myself brilliant, I was good, but not brilliant, uh, you see how their minds work, and they take these concepts, and then they can invent something mm-hmm. new from it. And, and I see that happening all the time. Even you know, So I, I believe it's an invention versus a discovery. We'll, we'll touch upon your, your ventures in a second, but I'd love to hear about what you do now, Profound Impact, right? It really struck a chord when I read up about Profound Impact because it sounded like two things, right? One is it's a culmination of a journey, your personal journey. And the second thing, to me, when I read up about it, it appealed to me about the traits uh, that you bring to the table as an individual. I remember reading about authenticity, trustworthiness, compassion, etc. Is that a fair assumption? Yes, it is a personal journey. Uh, it, 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 the genesis was about my late husband, Scott Vanstone, who was a professor of mathematics at the University of Waterloo mm-hmm. and an entrepreneur and an inventor. And he, he spun out a company called Certicom, who later and he invented some great technology for information security. So it was used all in that information security realm of things. And it's in the BlackBerry in every cell phone today, and it's in the driverless mm-hmm. car, and it's in DVD players. So it's prolific around the world, the technology. I wanted to look at his individual impact, not just his though, because he mm-hmm. had a lot of students. We call it his academic children, his post, his master's and PhD students who then have master's and PhD students and they proliferate. We wanted to try to encapsulate that impact, not just for him, but for other uh, colleagues of his, and especially the University of Waterloo right. Math Faculty. And how to, how do you visualize mm. impact? And that's what we were trying, what we're trying to do is how, what a thing is to, to mm-hmm. measure it. Okay, that's not that easy either. And we do a lot of data analytics and data collection and aggregation and digging down into the data to understand how Mm -hmm. to measure impact. But how do you visualize it in a dynamic 
inspiring mm-hmm. way. So you were talking about mathematics mm-hmm. earlier in the STEM area and how we're all, and I do a lot of work in this, especially with girls mm-hmm. and, and women, to try to motivate them to start a career or start their education in STEM because then it gives them a great foundation in problem solving and critical thinking. But how do you, how do we visualize this longer term? And so this is the thing that I was trying to do with uh, Profound Mm -hmm. Impact, and we still are. We're still are trying to say, okay, how do we inspire these next Mm -hmm. generation? By first looking individually at impact, but also the collective. And by doing the collective, we can look at an organization's impact collectively and we Mm. go, wow, Mm. this is exponential. We love exponential impact. And, but then you get to the granularity too and at the individual. So we're able to do that in our tools that we're developing a profound impact. Look at the collective Mm. of an organization. And also the individual impact. And the way you do it, does it have a product plus a consultative approach? Yes, we do product. We have a product and it's consult. It really is a, I call it platform Mm -hmm. as a service. You've similar software as a service, but it really is a platform. There are tools, there's tools too. And then we're always Mm -hmm. developing new tools. So it's added to the toolbox or the arsenal. And that way, uh, an a organization can not just wait for a report. We do surveys, we do reports, we mm-hmm. do the snapshot. But our goal is to get our all of our clients onto a dashboard platform as a service so that they work, we're helping them collect the data all the time. We're bringing it in. We're analyzing it. We have the tools. They can decide what to measure. They can decide what's important today. But then they don't have to wait for mm. a report next year. They can do what, uh, and it's a dynamic, mm. impact is dynamic. And uh, it's better to capture it that way. You can stay on top of things. And don't mm. forget the feedback loop. I mentioned that earlier in mathematics. That's why I, it was that the, we can provide actionable insights to your programming in a short period of time so that you can mm. tweak your program. If you find out that you're missing the mark in your programming or your programs, maybe you're not addressing mm. the minorities and in, 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 a, in the most uh, effective way. It's better to get that information early so that you can Makes tweak sense. your programs so that you can see that. So this is what we're, we guide our customers through consulting in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We get to know each other. We hope for a long-term relationship with with this organization, and then we get them to the platform so that they can then make their own decisions about what they measure and how they display it, how they visualize it, and then how they use it as a feedback. What will be awesome is to have profound impact measure impact of big tech in society. That would be an amazing Mm -hmm. social experiment in itself. Yes, it would be. We've not been asked to do that yet, but I would love to take that challenge on. And it would be a huge challenge. One thing about it is that it Mm -hmm. is about the data. And I know you in an accelerator center, when I was there, uh, their programs that you had were asking us for data all the time on us as as a startup. He wanted to know how we did and how Mm -hmm. we were doing while we were there. Now we need to figure out what happened to all those companies from the accelerator center. 
And what impact did they, mm -hmm. are they still around? What are they, how many mm -hmm. employees do they have? You may have those numbers. You may already be doing this, but it, it would be saying, this is the kind of, type mm -hmm. of thing that's okay. Let's, let's say, let's, and, and it, again, we work with our clients to figure out mm -hmm. what do you want to measure? We can measure everything. Right. Once we have the data, we can query it very many different ways. So, with the, the, but it is an interesting comment that you made about mm -hmm. the technology and, you know, technology for good, tech for good. We've heard that term used in right. Waterloo often. And it would be good to see if we could figure out what metric we, we would mm -hmm. measure. What would that be? What would that look like? And then try to start collecting yeah. that data. That Absolutely. would be a great we, we, You and I can certainly sure. pick that up as an offline topic for an interesting project. So, Sherry, what... The, the, the journey of Trustpoint and Certium, I'm sure, played a role in bringing you to where you are now. Can you walk us through what was what were those journeys like as an entrepreneur? Spe specifically, the times, it's very different. The, the 2000s or the 2010s are very different from even just two decades ago. So what was that like? Yeah. You know, it was really exciting, but you... In those days, and even today, an entrepreneur is a risk taker, that you work with entrepreneurs and, and uh, startups, and you you really do, I'm not saying that, they say you have to be comfortable with it. I don't think I've ever been comfortable, but mm -hmm. I've been willing. I've been willing to take the risk. And the reason why was because I believed in myself. I believed one time I was presented with this, mm -hmm. I had to make a decision. And, and I just said, you know what, this is a decision I'm going to make. And if I have to be in two in a month working at Wendy's flipping hamburgers, mm -hmm. I'll do the best. Is that one of those decisions that it could have yeah. broke my whole career? I would have been fired. I could have been fired. And so I think with it, I'll tell you, that's the biggest thing is being able to take, being willing mm -hmm. to take a risk. And then also surrounding yourself with people you give and you also have to right. be willing to take. And I'm not always good at that. I'm willing mm -hmm. to mentor and I mentor a lot. I'm willing to help out. But sometimes for me to ask for help mm. is more difficult. So I, that's what I loved about mm. the Accelerator Center, too, is that there was help there. And you had at the time I was there, we, right. there was programs. And there was a salesperson. And there was financial person there. And there was Ellen Winters. And you had all right. these great people that you worked with. And you didn't really have mm. to go out and ask for too much help because the help was right yeah. there in your face. So I think with entrepreneurs, you do need mm. you need to ask and not afraid of asking. You're going to have to right. ask customers to close deals. You're going to need to ask for help along the way. You need to ask your mentors. You mm -hmm. need to ask for money and money and money again and again. So you have to get comfortable in, in, right. in asking and not just yep. Yep. giving. Absolutely. I have two questions. I'll try and touch upon both in the journey that you beautifully articulated. And the first is the, the, the evolution of a startup as an organization is primarily also dependent on the evolution of the founding team. And, and as the founding team tries to get closer and closer to solving the problem for which they originally developed a solution, I think it's reasonable to say that the why am I doing it is an evolving process. It, it continuously changes. I remember being an entrepreneur in my 20s. And the, and the why was really driven by this thesis of mine, which was a giant hurdle that I, I couldn't get past. And my professor challenged all of us grad students, and that was the why. 
But in a year's time, that goalpost shifted and the why was something else. And, and at some point, it became money. So you've done this thrice, right? So what's your advice? Number one, question number one is, is that a... Uh, is that true? The, 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 the evolution of the why, right? Yeah. And I, I, in fact, I gave a talk at about the time I was selling TrustPoint. I was invited to give a talk at Communitech and I gave it. It was just that, the yeah. evolution of the why. And I look at my why and I love Simon Sinek and I love the idea mm-hmm. of starting with why. TrustPoint and, and Profound Impact, I built, uh, we build it as a team. The culture is very important. The why is tremendously important. But in my personal journey, mm-hmm. the why has evolved. The why was different. The why I was maybe when I first went to work for the U.S. government was, oh, I get to use mathematics and I'm excited about that. And then when I went to Silicon Valley and I, I changed over and I, I had, I was in charge of all of Asia Pacific. I hadn't even been to Asia Pacific and I was named director of Asia Pacific sales and mm-hmm. distribution. And I, and that was exciting, but, mm-hmm. but. It was mm-hmm. also about the money. And, and I come back to the money because to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to figure out right. how you're going to get the money from the customers, from the, from the investors. So, we ha- so money is very important. And I do want to come back to that for the ecosystem too, for, for how we mm-hmm. move forward with startups and make sure they succeed. But I, I had to make sure that I was comfortable, that I could live my life and be comfortable. So when I left the U.S. government, I said, you know what? That's why mm-hmm. I went into sales. I I want to control my own destiny as far as money goes. Because I knew I could make money and I knew I could sell. So I said, okay, let me do this. Let me see. I didn't put all my eggs in the basket. I did have a base salary, but I I ended up making almost three times my base salary on my commissions and working for it. So money is very important. But money was never part of my why. But it, it was a part of my life and my structure. Mm-hmm. And my, it, you have to do that. But the, the, the why was more about the different things. And so when I left Silicon Valley, it was quite toxic in, in those days. And I wasn't the highest. I was at the, mm-hmm. when I left the company I was in. I was highest level woman. And I was at a director, not a, on the board mm-hmm. director, but my position was a director. Not a, they did hire a VP after I left. But given that the, that was another mm-hmm. reason why I made it sure I got commission because the commission they tried to mess with, but they couldn't really mess with it because it's a part of my contract. But as far as the, but my position and my title, they could mm-hmm. mess with all the time. So my why when I came to camp was to leave that toxic environment right. where I was okay, but there were other people who weren't. And I tried to fight for them. But I, I was a survivor and maybe a little bit of a, somebody said, not as, always mm-hmm. nice and kind, but I, I just said, my why's right. changed. My why right. is now this. And then when I was with Certicom, and I wasn't the CEO, the mm-hmm. president of Certicom, and neither was my husband. Mm-hmm. He was the CIO, mm-hmm. even though he's the founder. I, I found I, I couldn't influence the culture enough. I was able to influence mm-hmm. it some. So then that's when I said, you know what? I want to be, I want to mm-hmm. start my company. And I want to run it. And I want to make sure that the why is there. And it's ingrained. And it's our right. collective why. Not just my why. I have a personal why. And then the right. team has a why. And you referred to it earlier when you talked about the team. When I talk to investors all the time, they say right. we invest mm-hmm. in the team. 
And I'm sure they also look at the other things too, for, uh, but right. they invest in the team. And that's why when my husband and I started Trustpoint, we started, we, we recruited some people mm-hmm. we had worked with before. And we built our team around that, but we were growing. So we couldn't just hire all the people we, we've worked with in the past because either they're working somewhere else or they don't want, we weren't able to recruit all. So then we had to start looking right. at our core values and figuring that out. And, and then once we did that as a team, we could say, who do, who, who is a good team mm-hmm. fit for us? And I'm not saying we got it. We never got it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't perfect. I think we're doing better with profound impact because again, now it's most hiring right. more on skills and fit, a cultural fit than necessarily mm-hmm. on experience. So yeah, so it is the, and as, as you, you said, our, it's the evolution of the why, our personal why, and then our Got corporate it. why. Makes sense. And if you were to give advice to youngish entrepreneurs on continuously recalibrating your why such that it does not end up veering towards money, not that it's a bad thing, but but at least personally with the, with age comes wisdom, right? So when, you know, I've done started quite thrice, but I failed once. What, what would that advice be? I think money has to be, as I mentioned earlier, it has to be in, the, in, in there, but it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be part of your why. And I think if you look at our goals, if you look at my mm-hmm. company's goals today, we money's in there. Right. The revenue is in there because we have to say, we're not going to be around tomorrow <laughs> or next year if we don't have some revenue. And, and work with customers. So it has to be there. You can't ignore it. But if you're driven by money, there's many ways to make money. And probably being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. may not be the fastest mm-hmm. way to make money. There, are, there have been examples of, of people making a lot of money quickly by being entrepreneurs. But entrepreneurs, to, to really scale up and be what we want to be as impactful as we want to be it's got to be more than that and you have to be thinking your why has to fit with an entrepreneurial i don't think that's one why that mm. fits with entrepreneurial but but entrepreneurialism but there needs it needs to have mm-hmm. something in there that is because this yeah. is hard work and i would tell people it's rewarding it's hard if money is what you want I think they say that it's eight to 10 years on average for a tech startup right. company to get to an exit or get to a place where maybe money is not as a big a concern. So you're saying maybe you're lucky and you get it in two years, maybe five years. But think about this, but what is your passion? Mm-hmm. What is your why? And if you start with that, and, and that, yeah, it, your why mm-hmm. may change, but it wouldn't deviate right. too much from your original yeah. and your course, your core values. Got it. Yeah. And so that's the advice I give. And there's a lot of people who start businesses for many different right. reasons. Some is that they love the technology and they think because they love it, the customers mm-hmm. love it. And there's other people who do it for more of a yeah. social yeah. impact. Yeah, that's a great segue into a, another question that I had, which is look at entrepreneurs who bring technology and engineering skills, like you said, that's very foundational in being able to develop that something that's very scalable. But in my head, I think there's an even more fundamental layer, which is more foundational, and that is science and mathematics, right? That, that's really the baseline that on which you can build. 
So in your case, I, I would imagine the complexity of chasing a problem by using the foundational skills of mathematics and building a solution is one way to do it. The other way to do it, and maybe it's a luxury, the other way to do it is since you've been gifted, maybe gifted's a wrong word, you've worked hard at this, right? So it's not like it, it's not like a luxury that landed on your lap. Since you worked hard to, to become a mathematician, are you better off developing solutions, having a bit of capital, and then solving a problem for which you perhaps did not originally start the company? Wh which of those two paths are... I would say I, I find it hard to take technology and make it into mm. a solution. You really have to understand mm -hmm. the problem, and I've mm -hmm. done it both ways. But the thing is that I think that along the way, all of us know, learn as entrepreneurs that we have to have some, we, in order to survive, we, we have to have a product or service that our customers right. will mm -hmm. pay for. And you can love the technology and you can love it so much that, and I have, I've loved early days at Certicom. We had some really good, deep mathematics and it was so good and so yeah, no. But if no mm -hmm. one will buy it, then we, we're mm -hmm. not going to be there tomorrow. So I've done it both ways. I'd like, okay, let's take this technology and let's see where we can put it. Now, mm -hmm. it worked, right? Because we found the perfect fed for um, the technology we right. developed at Certica, the mobile devices, right. smartphones. So sometimes you fudge it a little mm -hmm. bit in the beginning, but and, and the technology, is it comes through mm -hmm. and it is a winner. But that, uh, with Profound Impact, I tried that. Not as much as the technology, but mm. of the idea. I had a specific idea of a, a product that I thought was the answer. And it's proved not to be the case. Not that it won't be, yeah. not that it couldn't be, but it wasn't for me mm -hmm. and for my team. So we've mm -hmm. had to pivot. Not too far from it, but it's still about data. It's still about a measuring impact and visualization of impact, it just mm. delivered differently. Because we went out and we did some market research and we said to our client, what is mm. your biggest pains? What is your pain? And how much will you pay for that if we right. found a solution for it? And they told us. And so we said, oh, great, we have a solution. It, it's, it takes, it's great when the technology fits, but you've seen that and we've seen very successful and out-of-the-box solutions, what, what would have been considered out-of-the-box yep. 20 years ago? And you go, wow, that's great. And it's based on technology. And it's great. And it solves a problem that people mm -hmm. are willing to pay for. Uh, and so it works that way. But I, I think starting mm -hmm. with the problem, I mentioned the skill set that science and technology foundational yeah. training is on is what, what's the knowns and what are the unknowns? Let's look at an algebra <laughs> equation and you want to solve it. What do I know and what do I not know? And, and when you do that and you think if that helps, you could say that's technology, that's not. That's a foundational thought process, problem solving. And I think that's the skill set that is taught at that foundational level for mm -hmm. science and technology and engineering math. I'm not saying it's not in disciplines too, but it is, it is mm -hmm. foundational. And so given that, I think you would, if starting a company, I'd want some people that mm -hmm. have a background in STEM, but I'd also want some bad people that have different right. backgrounds and different education. 
So depending on you know what problem we're solving and the yeah. because we need that we need the diversity right. of thought, and that's all, why also why having a company here in Canada, especially yeah. in this area, in the Toronto Waterloo corridor, is that we have the diverse right. backgrounds and ethnicities and the, the diversity of thought. So we really have mm-hmm. the ecosystem and the resources within that ecosystem to to solve many problems and. That's another goal of Profound Impact is collaboration. Mm-hmm. We want a platform. We want to provide a means mm-hmm. to collaborate. Because if we can collaborate, we can get great minds moving forward, right. working together. We can help solve some of the greatest mm-hmm. problems. And we have. We, right. we can name them all. And we have them. Hunger. We can sit down and say, okay, these are real problems. Now, how right. can we help solve them right. through collaboration? Uh, yeah, that, that's a fascinating point you touched upon, which is, the pace at which I think ecosystems and startups have changed over the last two years, the pandemic, and specifically the lockdowns played a force function in the way companies reacted, either getting product to market or pivoting or figuring out a new solution and, and staying relevant. How how much has profound impact changed and evolved and, and pivoted during the last two years? And... What do you think the future looks like? So we were, we had set ourselves up as a virtual company Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Just, it was a different model um, than before that I had before, but I just, and when I started hiring people, it turned out I had people in the U.S. and the East Coast, the West Coast, and it turned out that was a good thing. Of course, when we went into, entered into the pandemic, we did not really Mm -hmm. have to change a lot. We just didn't get together as often as we had hoped in person, but I had mentioned already about trying to really figure out what the customer need wanted and would pay for. I so we did pivot in that, and it was through mm-hmm. our market research. Again, I go back to asking. People want to help other people, and if you find a, a customer, a client that that you believe is a if there's a persona there that is probably an overall. Um, good descriptor for your what you're trying to do, your industry, then they really, the individuals really step forward and you ask them questions and they won't answer them. And sometimes even before you ask them, they will tell you mm-hmm. what they think and what their problems are and what, what they need. Said so this is a great idea, Sherry, but this is right. really what we need. So part of that was just listening to them and also soliciting their advice and their help along the way. So again, I'm not as comfortable doing it, uh, but asking is a good thing yeah. to do and, and getting that perspective from your clients and needs and being driven by that versus my idea. I had an idea and what the customers thought it was great, but they, they're looking at me like, going, okay, maybe I'll buy that sometime. Right now I have bigger problems to solve. So we had to pivot and that's what, that's what startups do. And be, be, be flexible, be nimble, be agile. Yeah. I think somewhere in there also lies the unspoken truth about entrepreneurs. That entrepreneurs, and you touched upon it right in the beginning, are a very different breed of people who have to be borderline irrational. If you dwell in the realm of rationality, the degree of extraordinariness doesn't stand out enough that you're always swimming against the tide. And to your point earlier, the ability to pivot when a new problem arises and the pace at which you do it really dictates the future of the company and the hundreds of people who uh, are, are dependent on you, not just 
employees, but customers, stakeholders, etc. Right. So you've got to be, at least my head, irrational and full of grit. You got to be insanely gritty to be an entrepreneur. So you've done it thrice successfully. Um, yeah, I would say it's that that's just says it all right there. Uh, you, I'm not saying you have to be thick skin because I'm not necessarily that, but I thicker mm-hmm. skin than some. The ability to ask, the ability to give, it's all of those things. But it it really is being right. persistent. And it and I, I every company I've started I, somewhere along the way, I go, why did I do this? Why? Why? Why did I right. think I could do this? And, but we right. all have our down days, right? And I've had right. failures too. So along the way, so I must say that's a real slap of reality mm. right there when you fail when you have right. to close a business. So but I've understood that too. But you do have to have that grit. Yeah. And I like that term because it really is that's just that's every. You can define it in all these words that I've mm. said. Risk taker, persistent, don't take no for an answer, be pushing all the time, and pivoting, and quickly. And that's another thing. Do people say, how can you pivot when you t- you need to be focused? So you have to start focusing mm. on the right things. And that's by listening mm. to your customers. And that is, again, it comes down to... No, now I'm not saying the customers know what they want because right. sometimes they don't. They just know what they have a pain. They they have right. a problem, but that doesn't mean we have to solve it in mm-hmm. a traditional way. So that's when technology mm-hmm. can come in and play. And and what you're talking about the the irrationality mm-hmm. of it all, or thinking outside of the box, or the diversity of thought, then you can say, okay, just because we need to do this one thing, we don't have to do it the way that we've done it in the past. We, mm-hmm. we can see it all the time. Great examples, Airbnb, that we have this, there's a problem. People want to mm-hmm. go on vacation. They want to do this. Okay, let's make it easier for them to do it in a mm-hmm. non-traditional way. And that's what technology can bring. Once you understand, now we have the problem. That's why I think we get, and I do too, I get stuck in the thinking, oh, I've got to solve this problem mm-hmm. in this way. You can We can solve it in many different ways. And now we have many more tools than we had 20 years ago. And given that, uh, the connectivity, the collaboration, we can solve a lot of problems by pulling together. And I never thought about it as irrational, but it probably is another way to describe it. It is, it's not thinking. And you touched upon a couple of interesting points. One, I'm curious to know the value of certain traits that drives one to become an entrepreneur in the next 10 years. So if you rewind back to the 90s, you could argue that education, experience, and skills in in, in that order molds you into who you are. And you could further argue that those three things define how good an entrepreneur you'll eventually end up being. Do you think we live in a world which is quickly headed in a direction where we're going to reverse that. And so all, all that really matters is skills. Education, it looks like it's going to get disrupted. Experience, clearly, it's valuable, no doubt. Uh, but your earlier point, the diversity of thought and the creativity and imagination that a bunch of people bring who are not institutionalized by experience. So between those three things, I know it's a generic question, but where would you place your bet? Skills, experience, education. 
okay. uh, Cisco's. And, and, and I will say that I have made a lot of hiring mistakes. And I, that, the mistake, I, the reason I made the mistakes, one, I was looking at their mm. experience. The person I wanted to hire and the person I wanted to promote. And I had to go and justify it to my board, mm-hmm. for example. And they felt, oh, this individual right. is not ready. They don't have the experience. But they had mm-hmm. the skill set. They just didn't have the experience. I went out and hired somebody else I had not even worked with experience, and they turned mm-hmm. out to be a dud. And I almost lost this person because I didn't really Got look it. at his skill set or her skill set. And so the hiring mistakes I've made, I believe I made them on that, is because I've looked at, oh, their education, their da-da-da, this degree, and then they had this experience. Instead of looking at, do they have the skills? And especially right. for a startup, I'll say it, it matters more than anything. And I'm not saying you're going to get it right. Nobody Mm -hmm. bats a thousand. So it's just, okay, you get up there, you try, you know, you you try to make the right decision. But the mistakes I can say with all the mistakes I've made in the last two startups I've had have been based on looking at those things. And now, but how do you measure skills, especially if you don't know the person? That is maybe something that takes those some. There's some technology out there that'll help you with that. I would say use those tools and try to figure out the skills Mm -hmm. that you need for your team. And again, another thing with a startup is that we all wear different hats at different times. I'm not expecting the finance person, the CFO, to go and do uh, coding and develop software for us. But there is some skill sets that that need to be Mm -hmm. across the team. And then there needs to be, so it needs to be horizontally and then yeah. also vertically in, in this. So I, yeah, I, I, I put my bat on the skills. I, I, I violently agree with you. Switching gears a bit, you've been fortunate to work in two ecosystems in, in, in the U.S., specifically the, the Valley and Canada, arguably in the hottest geographical section of both, both these countries, right? The, the, the Kitchener-Waterloo area, Toronto-Waterloo corridor and Silicon Valley. Can you highlight some of the the nuanced differences between the two? The obvious one is obviously capital. But what else do you see? Yeah, I have been in the, in Canada for a considerable amount of time now. So, not having worked in the valley in that time, I I hope things have changed mm-hmm. since I was there. And I, I the valley also has a hugely mm-hmm. diverse demographics there, and the the utilization of that that huge resource was not mm. there when I was there. There was uh, there mm. were certain roles, there were certain positions, but it was not going up to the C-suite and mm. into the board. And I I think this is something that, the good thing is that we're in an era now that we're appreciating mm. this diversity of thought and, and the skills that also come along with that. And so the ecosystem to me is, is mm. quite different here. And I'm trying to help to do my part in, in, in helping the ecosystem. And that's another thing too. It's, it, it was, it's easier for me to, to be a part of the ecosystem here. It's more inviting. And I, I encourage us all to continue that, to invite people uh, to, ha- to help us, to, for us to give to them and they give to us and to help build up this ecosystem even better. Is that where I didn't see that collaboration and cooperation as much in, in Silicon Valley. We worked with, we, it was very focused on your job and being very successful. And I could tell mm-hmm. you that's great for success, but it's not the right culture. 
It does not breed the right culture for to sustain itself and move forward in a very mm-hmm. effective way. And I'm not saying that there's not these companies. We know they, they've been successful. But now you can see that there's some yeah. toxicity in, their, in, 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 in the ranks and, and how are that. So here I appreciate that we have had, we do have it, and I, and I continue to encourage Accelerated Center all of these other organizations that are part of this ecosystem to mm-hmm. be more inviting to the people at the table. And what I mean by that is have more conversations with mm-hmm. the entrepreneurs. A lot of them are very diverse in the background. And, and listen to them and ask of them as, as much as you're giving to them, ask of them right. what they need. I think that's it. I've noticed lately, and, and part of this is that the federal government and the provincial government is giving mm-hmm money and they're doing they're trying to do their part and say what's the best way for us to move this forward that's women and minorities and being and entrepreneurs so there's a lot of training out there there's a lot of courses there's a lot of opportunities and i know and i appreciate that but when it comes down to what the one thing that you said capital now we're doing better out of it here than the 90s and maybe Mm. even the 2000s but we still have to look at the money and we have to have more opportunities Mm -hmm. and more money flowing and i'm involved with a couple of organizations such Mm -hmm. as phoenix fire and what we do is we're raising limited partners and we're putting money on the table and saying let's invest in minority entrepreneurs owners and business owners and i think we need more of that and that's more of a grassroots it's still great that the federal government and the provincial government and other organizations are stepping up but to me we have a huge opportunity it's it's just like we're laid the seeds and the plants are starting to grow and and it's beautiful now what are we going to do with it and how are we going to get to those? How do we build an ecosystem that will allow a company like mine, mm-hmm. even Trustpoint? When I had Trustpoint, I had I ended up selling Trustpoint because I did not have the tools I needed to go up against the, what the contracts I had to sign because mm-hmm. I was doing security, information security for the driverless car and and the connected vehicle. I was a startup. I did not have the tools to play in the game with mm-hmm. GM. They are going to eat me alive right. as a startup. And the T's and C's that they laid on me, I could not accept as a startup. So it's more than just money, but money is a part of it, but also having the tools and the resources. And maybe just have, I did talk to some of some people in the industry and I was, one person told mm-hmm. me, that's the way it is, Jerry. You're going to have to live with it. So not having, that's right. to me not an acceptable answer. And this person did not mean it in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a mean way at all. But we have to figure out other answers instead of that this is the way it is yeah, and you have yeah. to accept it. No, that's spot on, 100% true. And, and you touched upon a couple of interesting points, right? One is the amount of capital clearly is directly proportional to the runway that you can build and therefore the flexibility of various experiments and pivots I can take you to market. And the other one is all said and done, I think we now live in a reasonably digitally transformed world where the markets are geographically otherwise disparate, but but much more accessible than what it used to be a decade ago, right? which yeah. is fascinating. There are so many conversations I want to have with you, but coming up on time. On a parting note, two questions. And this is one that's always baffled me. So I'll pose it to you. 
is there for an entrepreneur is there such a thing as work life balance i should have started with that one yeah. but our work life balance is is it's the what is the balance so some people it's mm-hmm. 20 80 or whatever what i do find though there mm-hmm. is flexibility there may not be balance but there are there's usually flexibility in being an entrepreneur and sometimes just saying i'm i'm right. not here i'm i'm going to take a break mm-hmm. that's hard for me because i always keep my phone on and all that i'm i'm answering texts when i'm right. on, on the beach somewhere you know and people look at me and go what are you doing and i said i've got to you know catch up with this and this and this i don't mean that i'm a control freak i will see if I, my employees say that i want to be mm-hmm. accessible to them so i don't usually turn my phone off and i don't usually not do emails i i come in at late at night and early in the morning and so I don't know what that word mm-hmm. that means balance if it's okay it's 50/50 mm-hmm. or whatever people it's an individual thing but I think as an entrepreneur you will find that your mind is there and you you might have to you might have to do something to get you you'll have to figure out your own your balance uh, on your own but you you'll figure it out right. along the way and but it's not the yeah. same for everyone this one yeah, I fully agree with you and which goes back to your earlier point of there is a case to be made that it's you got to be in, in tensely gritty and irrational to chase that 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 dream and it's really not and there's no script to it right it's it's no there's no script and there's no cookie cutting yeah. and and i've had failures so i've been five companies mm-hmm. i've been with an entrepreneur and three successful mm-hmm. uh, exits and mm-hmm. two not that's the way it will go and the thing is that i don't want to discourage anyone from being an entre- yeah. an entrepreneur there's many ways to do it too so you don't have to do it in, in the way i've done it or the way you've done it jay i want to encourage right. people to be thinking outside the box mm-hmm. and taking mm-hmm. risks absolutely and on a parting note and this this is a topic that we should potentially have covered earlier in the podcast but nevertheless and i'll never know this as a guy but i've seen my wife as an entrepreneur and there's finally conversations happening across the world about the challenges that women face in general right but specifically if you were to um, provide advice to women entrepreneurs what would that be find your balance uh, especially mm-hmm. if you have children a young child or you have you, i have other people in my life and so to me i even postponed a call this morning by a half an hour because somebody needed mm-hmm. me in my family So I think that's it's the having that flexibility and, and setting with your team some boundaries and also letting them too yeah. because that's the thing. I it's that it's a, the flexibility has to extend to your to the other people too that work with you. So you can't say, "Oh, you've got to be on this call at 9." If they call up and say, "I've got to do this." You mm-hmm. go, "That's fine. We'll cover it. We'll bring you up to speed later. We'll let you know what we need for mm-hmm. you from you." We can do this. We can do it as a team. So it's a teamwork, be flexible, mm-hmm. but go for it. Fantastic Shreya, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been uh, truly enjoyable. I wish this podcast lasted more than 2 hours, but we'll certainly aspire to get you back and looking forward to having more meaningful conversations. Thank you. Thank you Jay. It was very comfortable talking with you and I hope we enlightened and inspired some entrepreneurs Absolutely. out there today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you a lot. Take care. Yes. Bye. Thank you. Waterloo Grit, an Accelerator Center podcast, is sponsored by the David Johnston Research and Technology Park and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by Bluemax. For more Waterloo Grit content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.com to join us on Discord.